Satori Magazine is a space for thought-provoking content. By exposing ourselves to ideas, thoughts, experiences and life lessons, we might stumble across something which gives us new insight or a change of perspective. I'm Lawrence Rice, and I've been chatting to people about life, inspiration, the universe, and whatever else pops up along the way. What you're about to hear is the edited results of those recordings. The voices you will hear belong to Pico Ayer, Lawrence Torcello, Elisha Goldstein, BJ Miller, Parneet Pal, and Lynn Didanen. Today's main contributor is Lawrence Torcello. You say, I think I'm less afraid of death than I'm afraid of not existing. Would you be able to expand on that at all? I'll try to expand on that. Um, you know, death is, is such such an abstract concept. Mm. And it's so difficult to wrap one's mind around the idea that one may not uh, be living at any moment in the future. Yeah. And... As an academic, I think that so much of what motivates many of us is this idea of prolonging our existence. And we do that through the creation of many works. Uh, we do that with whatever um, aspect of ourselves we somehow leave in the memories of our students. Mm -hmm. And there's always this hope, I think, for any of us who write things that perhaps long after we're dead, someone will want to read something that yeah. we wrote. Yeah. Even if, you know, we cannot hope to be, you know, very famous, you know, writers, but any of us who've written anything can hope that someone will discover something that we wrote somewhere. Mm. And that, that's something that uh, I find, I find comforting. And the idea of there not being anyone left to um, discover a work of philosophy, in my case, is something that I find frightening. And so when I think of the global problems that might face humanity, mm. and it's always possible this is a distraction for my own death, but I find the idea of humanity being in an existential crisis um, really frightening, because that seems to erase even the hope of a memory or a contribution that's meaningful in the long term. Mm. If, if, if that makes well enough sense. I, I, uh, I don't think I will ever fully grasp how that I'm alive. Sometimes I try, and I guess in my own way, I try to find ways of, of living and... and you know, uh, being present when I remember to be present and appreciating simplicity and and the joy of the moment. I guess I'm trying to accept the fact that I will have times later in life when I realise how much more I should have done. I, I don't know how much that's going to come back and sting me later on. Yeah, that's what it's all about. There's something that you said about regret that, that made me think, um, you know because we're talking about death and our relationship to death in, in a way. And, and it made me think that part of the importance of death is the meaning it brings to one's life. And it's, it's cliche you know, almost to say that because we've all heard some version of that. But I think I admire the Greek notion 
the ancient Greek notion that one can't truly know if a person is happy until they're dead because you need the the whole life to be seeing the ups and the downs before you can make such a, a, a judgment. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's something to that. What, what drives you and what does inspire you to be where you are today? It's, it's well, you know, it's, it's one of those really important questions that I think is, is often very difficult because it's so personal. Hmm. And I think, I think for me, what I'm, I'm really fascinated, and again, this is a sort of the contradiction. Um, you know, though I, I like my alone time, I'm fascinated by people. Hmm. And I'm fascinated by the differences between people. Yeah. And so I, I think a real fascination with disagreement and how people could so adamantly disagree with each other and, and, and at the same time feel so secure in their disagreements and even in some sense both be rational about it but come to these radically different conclusions. This sort of plurality yeah. in terms of ideas, yeah. not only cultures and practices and habits, is an endless source of fascination to me. And so I think I just naturally, gradually became more and more interested in political philosophy because of that. This right. question of how is it that with all the diversity out there, we could perhaps find ways to, to work together, to cooperate together, to live together. Mm. Um, and so... I think that's, in some sense, what drives me is a fascination with human relationships. You study other forms of science denial. What kind of answers do you find, if that's not too vast a question? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's it's very frustrating. Yeah, we, we you know, we it seems to to be an issue that's become more important. and I think. Part of my interest in disinformation is that, I suppose one of my motivations is, in a certain sense, the anger at the injustice I feel when I see somebody attempting to uh, interrupt a person's ability to think through an issue for themselves. And I see disinformation as a, as a direct attack on the very natural right that I think all of us have to think as human beings and experience the world for ourselves. Yeah. And one of the ironies of it is very often the very people who are spouting disinformation are doing so while, in some sense, holding up the banner of free thought, that they're just thinking freely. And of course, it's, it's, it's all a contrivance. What they're doing is attempting to prevent others from actually thinking yeah. about topics and right. so um you know how do we deal with that in society um that becomes a real pressing issue for me as somebody who is both interested in, in things like environmental issues like climate change but also in political issues in terms of how we cooperate and solve world problems together and uh, mm. the problem of disinformation seems to me such a root cause for so many problems in the world uh, 
our inability to think clearly about things. So this has become a real pressing theme. Um, I wish I had really clear answers <laughs> how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's, that's sort of how I've become interested in that topic. It relates very clearly to, um, to my interest in political philosophy and the ability or the need for each of us to express our own diversity in order to sort of have those meaningful relationships that, mm. see that I'm really ultimately fascinated by. When you realize that nothing matters to a degree, you can then make anything that you want important to you and you can find your own path. And I think other people maybe if you're scared of that or if you don't like that, it's a good excuse to say. And what I was thinking of earlier today, actually, was um, I apologize for this, this rambling introduction, no was that I think it can be easy, for instance, to be overwhelmed by, say, recycling when you know and when you read about, you know, all of England's plastic bottles washing up on the shores of China, you can give up or because, you know, why, why bother doing anything? Or you can do everything you can for yourself because you can either do it just to make yourself happy um, or you can do it because you believe it, it, in people around you. And whatever the reason, what you're doing is making a positive choice and I guess what I'm thinking about there is that maybe subconsciously those positive choices make up the choices you make in a day and then maybe they give you a, a, a good grounding or a good foundation to make more positive choices. I, when I, I realised that's the way I wanted to live my life and actually if you smile at someone on a bus in the morning you can make them smile at someone else. And, and the world goes round a little bit more, I think. So there's so much in what you just said. So maybe I'll pick up a couple of points. One is just very literally that the point that you, it's so beautiful that you mentioned, you know, if I just smile at somebody on the bus. And again, we know from the science of emotional contagion that because of our empathy networks in our brain, we are wired to reflect uh, the emotions of the people around us. And mm. so quite literally, it's, it's very natural. You know, that if you smile at somebody, uh, chances are they will smile back, at least to a small degree. And that small shift uh, has a small shift uh, in, the, in their physiology. So, you know, the neurochemicals <laughs> bumping around in their, in their brain and body shift as well, a little bit more towards the positive side. So, um, and this kind of emotional contagion works both ways, right? So we can, so during the pandemic, for example, anxiety and fear spread like wildfire. Mm. And I always like to say we have the capacity very consciously to make empathy and compassion and kindness spread in the same manner. They are equally powerful. So that's one, one thing that I uh, wanted to point out. And the other thing that uh, mm. when you mentioned what came to my mind was this whole idea of... Um, coming to terms with our human suffering. And I know that's a huge topic, but um, I think just what's been helpful for me, uh, and again, coming through this uh, an understanding of the Advaitic Vedantic philosophy um, is, you know, in that, in that tradition, um, 
the essence is that all suffering arises from an ignorance of the true nature of reality. And mm. um, the true nature of reality um, is that consciousness is primary and the material world is just a projection of that consciousness. Right. And I know all of this may sound very grand or esoteric, but uh, if, if it's at least um, making you curious, I would really uh, invite the audience to uh, dig deeper into that and investigate this and, and look into this philosophy. And again, it's a philosophy. It's not a, a religion of uh, any kind. It's just an investigation into uh, the nature of our mind and body and who we are. Um, and so when, when you think of um, who we are within that context, and really what I'm driving at, this idea of nothing matters or my life doesn't matter versus everything matters, mm. I think when you come from that sense of, okay, consciousness is primal, every, it's, you know, the material world, all of our lives are just a projection of that um, basic reality, which is existence itself and awareness itself and what's called bliss, um, uh, which is really a refer, uh, it's a reference to how unlimited um, this, this consciousness is, then everything matters because we know, um, uh, we know that because we are, we are, our true essence is that, is that consciousness, it's very empowering. We have the power because we are, our true nature is that magnificent consciousness. Why would we not use that power in a way that's beneficial to others? So that's one, one way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. And the, and the other way of thinking about it is that all of this also just to step back in a moment of suffering to kind of step back. This is, I think, when it's useful to realize that um, or to question your sense of identity. So I think when we're overly identified or grasping to our mind and our thoughts and our emotions and our bodies but is when we get into trouble. And so I think in those moments, it's, it's important to step back and just take a breath and say, you know, who am I really? Um, and again, you know, the practice of meditation and mindfulness, uh, but also the practice of um, uh, service to others without any expectation of reward. These are the practices that come from these philosophies that help us to build that little bit of a distance uh, and give you some space um, so that you're not overly identified with your with your mind and body and thought and emotion that can be very freeing. And at the same time, give you that sense of empowerment because you know that uh, we are all interconnected. You can't but help wanting uh, to make a, a, a change that's beneficial to everybody else. So I, I hope all of that is making sense. I'm, I'm I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in, in Vedantic philosophy by any means, but I, I hope I've, um, uh, I hope I've just given some food for thought about uh, a different way to think about, you know, th this phrase of nothing matters or everything matters. whose birthdays were this past week who passed away now they passed after they were 90 
of Ruth Kirk and Mary Randlett. Now, Ruth Kirk was, uh, wrote books about national parks. We're very well-known writer in this, in this region. Mm. Um, Mary Randlett, photographer, again, very well-known in this region. Both of them published books after they were 90. They were my friends. They were my inspiration. And I adored them both. And so, yes, that's, I, I, I think I have in my life, um, certainly in the last 20, 30 years, I've looked to older people who are doing their work. We have work to do. I think we have work to do mm. when we're on this earth. And um, those women were people who had work to do. And they weren't going to die until they finished the work that they wanted to do in their lives. And I, that's, very, that's very inspiring to me, very important. I think I grew up feeling and being encouraged to believe that if you find something you want to do with your life, which you are passionate about, then you want to work. And therefore, stopping work is stopping what you want to do, you know? Yes, Don't yes. Know. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. You know that years ago, I, this this is a this is an old sort of hippie '70s phrase. But they, the people would say, "Do what you love, and what do what you love, and the money will follow." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have the time to to involve myself in, in different projects. Um, and some days I feel quite panicked when I, I can't see where any of them going. And I have to remind myself that that's okay because I know what I'm doing now and I don't need to worry about where they're going and, until we get a bit closer to that destination. Yeah, things will happen that you or I or nobody could see. Absolutely. And I think when I sometimes meet young writers, I say that state of panic you were describing is the norm. Don't 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 think you're the only one. Don't be perturbed. Um, don't don't worry. That's that's part of the process. Um, mm. I have this wonderful friend, Elizabeth Gilbert, who is so inspiring on the subject of creativity. And I think she might say that fear is the source of creativity. Uh, and that's what forces us to come up with new ideas. And in a curious way, again, that brings us back to the pandemic. It's it's thrown most of us into such a state of unsettledness that I think many of us have rethought our lives and decided um, to start from scratch or, or certainly thought about ways in which we can think differently and therefore live differently. And mm. we might not have had that privilege if things had continued with seeming smoothness in, in, along the path that they were uh, pursuing before. And always so much to be grateful for. I mean, here you and I, we've, I think, survived for two more than two years, this pandemic. Um, and I think of the pandemic as the season of not taking anything for granted. And not taking anything for granted means, to me, being doubly grateful for, for good health, for the fact that I can, I can talk to somebody on the other side of the world now, maybe as we wouldn't even have thought of doing uh, three years ago. I mean, yeah. we had Skype and FaceTime and all those things, but I don't think the notion would have been that I get to meet and talk to Lawrence for the first time at a distance of 7,000 miles, but it's as if we're in the, in the same room. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, 
I think I I find in my life almost every day, and I, I know this is a commonplace. I can either think of the things that frustrate me, or the many equal number of things for which I'm grateful. And if I turn my mind to the latter, my days tend to go much better, and the people around me tend to be much happier um, mm. than otherwise. And I think that's an example of where, in so many ways, I think we have more choice uh, than than we often remember and that we know. Every yeah. day I have a certain number of waking hours. Would I rather learn about um, an earthquake in Chile, which unfortunately I don't feel I can do very much about, or appreciate um, the beauty of everything around me in these streets, which mm. too often I, I sleepwalk past? And it's a tiny example of how much our life is made up of choices, even where it, when we're inside yeah. this great unchosen prison of, of lockdown or uh, the pandemic. fan of James Hillman, The Soul's Journey is one. He's a union psychologist. And uh, he really addresses that in a way. And uh, it, it's, it's the idea that, that our, our lives really do have meaning. It seems like it's all random. Mm. And but in fact, if, as we get older and we look back, it's clear that there was a path, there was a reason. None of these things that happen to us are random. Yeah. There's, and it's it's just an interesting idea that I I got hold of the first time I read any James Hillman. And um, it's as I get older, it really does make sense. I can see the stepping stones, the callings, the thing. They're all related. They're it's just a a wonderful staircase mm. to to the life and to the person that I am. And I, I, I've taught that book. I've taught Soul's Journey, and I've encouraged other people, particularly as they age, to go through that exercise of looking at the stepping stones of their lives and looking back and looking at how they may or may not have been random events in their lives. It's kind of a mystical way of thinking. I think, you know, uh, of late, especially in the past decade, I've become more interested in understanding the relationship between our health and our planet's health, yeah. and not in any kind of mystical, mysterious way. You know, this whole idea, uh, you know, everybody talks about we are interconnected or we are one. Mm. Uh, and of course, there's a spiritual, mystical understanding of that phrase. For me, it was about realizing that that interconnectedness is very literal. It's very, it's on a mundane level. Everything that we do is connected to everything else in our natural ecosystems. So for example, our health, our bodies is literally made out of the food on our plate. Yeah. And the food on our plate depends on the quality of the soil that the food was grown in. Yeah. Um, and even if, you're, if you eat animals, the animals feed on those same plants. And the quality of the soil is dependent on the health of the microbiome, the soil microbiome, the many, mm. you know, thousands and millions of species of bacteria and viruses and fungi and so on. So there's this entire ecosystem 
And the health of that ecosystem is dependent on the health of the air and the water in that system. And we are part of that. And again, you know, you might be thinking, well, yeah, duh. And yet I don't think we realize how important that connection is. Anything that I want to do in the world, you know, all of the impact that we want to make with our organizations or our businesses or our lives is completely dependent on the health of these ecosystems. Mm. And, um, and so I think, especially now, you know, I think, you know, as we're speaking, the IPCC, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on, on Climate Change, the UN body that puts out these reports on climate change, they came out with their third report. Um, I think it's really important for us to realize that we must pay attention that uh, to what the, the consequences of our actions. So again, coming back to that that slice of the pie that is within our control, mm. um, that taking care, even if we haven't thought about our health within the context of the planet, I think now is a time where everyone needs to start thinking about it in that frame uh, because the, the health of the planet is at stake. And again, the, the universe is wise um, if we continue on the track that we've been on, um, you know, using fossil fuels the way that we are and our patterns of consumption in our everyday lives, when we disrupt this ecosystem, unfortunately, we are the ones who will suffer the most. Mm. You know, the planet will survive, the bacteria and viruses and fungi will figure a way out, uh, out of this mess. Uh, but unfortunately, I think it will come at the expense of human life. And so I think it's to everyone's... Um, benefit to start to shift about the way that they think about the impact that they want to have in their lives and start to think about how can I do that in a way that benefits not just me but benefits the people around me and the planet and what what that might look like. Yeah, I'm a I'm a believer in slow thinking. Hmm. Um, I I think that we need to to carve out this carve out these spaces in our lives where we're able to to be alone mm-hmm. and to experience our own um, interactions with the world around us, to experience our own feelings. And I think that there's so much in the modern world that is aimed at constantly grabbing our attention and distracting us mm. and feeding us the opinions of other of others in a rapid procession that doesn't even allow us time to register them fully and digest them. And I think this is a real problem. Um, there's not enough emphasis, I think, placed on the value of slow rumination over mm. over over things that happen to us experiences um relationships problems um we're sort of all uh, enthralled with the the quote unquote hot take and i think it's to our uh, it's not it's not to our betterment that that we're nudged in this direction yeah yeah and i mean cuz what i was thinking about when you're talking about um, denial, 
uh, mm-hmm. is that we 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 there's, we're in a world uh, uh, an information overload. So I guess mm-hmm. that's that's where like you know it's easy maybe uh, frustrating but easy to 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 mm-hmm. to infiltrate that with misinformation. But then yes, you, it's just yes. this constant. Um, as you say, is there there's just so many places for us to get this next dopamine hit, um, mm-hmm. and that the idea of sitting still is almost alien now. When when you can pick up a phone and turn it on. Mm-hmm. What. I actually found really fantastic through going to the gym was um, the simplicity of it in that I think with the, especially with me you know I, I've told you I think too much and it's very I have a quite a vivid imagination so it's very easy to think I'd like to play the guitar and in five minutes I'm on stage at you know Wembley playing the most amazing gig ever and that becomes a, kind of un, unobtainable and then you suddenly like when you go to pick up the guitar you're thinking I'm never going to get to be that guy in Wembley it's, it's, it's is it, uh, this mountain is too steep um and for me the simplicity of going to the gym where you really realize that all you need to do is to go and pick up a weight and pick it up and put it down a few times and all, all you need to do is keep going and picking up that weight until you get to the next one and then you get to the next one and after a couple of years you realize like everything is is the same as that and i think your brain is a muscle too right and then once you realize that and that anything you do mentally is the same as going to the gym and just picking up a weight. That really opened my mind. I now look at tasks that I can't do differently because I know that if I keep applying myself to them and just picking up the weight, I will improve almost, you know, whether whether I like it or not. And it's also good to have perspective on that when it's a, whether it's a creative thing or going to the gym that the the beginning is, is is typically the hardest part yeah meaning like even with a creative project it's the beginning and i always liking it liking it to you're inspired and then you feel like you're walking through a wall of thick mud you can't really see exactly you don't really have exactly the clarity that you need but if you keep walking forward like you're saying you keep walking forward suddenly the mud will start to clear up and clear up and clear up and all of a sudden it will become a whole lot more clear and there'll be more ease to it yeah and that's also the thing so if you have that expectation and if you have somebody with you whether it's a mentor or a friend or something like that that's going to really support the resiliency of that Mm. that period in time as well yeah and um then then that's gonna make it more sustainable and probably your probability of of actually continuing with it goes up it's interesting what you say about that sort of walking through the mud I think that's the, I feel like that's the creative process mm. is there's the inspiration, you have the idea, and then there's the work to get to the next level of, of clarity or, 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 um, sustained routine with it or something. And, and I, I've noticed that for me in writing all the books that I've written or, or anything like or putting on various programs and creating programs. And mm. I've noticed that that is the typical process There's an inspiration. And then, and then you begin 
And it's, and I think it's a rare person where then it just kind of flows out and it's free and it's done, you know, in that kind of way. What, what typically happens is, and, and I've checked this out with many people because I said, this is my process. They said, oh yeah, that's, that's really how it is. Is then there's like this, like, ooh, yeah, that was the, the big vision, the Wembley, right? That's the, oh yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Oh, okay. So wait. Oh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe maybe the so for as far as a book is concerned, maybe the layout of the book isn't exactly. Oh wait, there's more nuances to. Okay, let me just keep moving forward. Let me just keep writing. Let me just keep thinking about this, and then eventually, if you just keep at it, you can get. You can easily get like with anything else. You can easily get thrown off, stuck. It's too hard. Um, in the beginning of my uncover the power within program, I give people a graph. And the graph looks like, and you have to visualize it here as you're listening to this, but it, it kind of goes up, there's a line on it. It's a bar graph. Goes, or I mean, yeah, it's a bar graph, and, and it's a line on it. And then it goes down. It's like a curve and goes down, and that's when you get stuck. And that's when the thoughts come up, like, maybe I can't do it, and doubt starts to creep in. Doubt's our number one mental hindrance. And then, and then if you have awareness of that, you say, well, hold on, this is all part of the process. Okay, let me keep moving forward. Maybe you have a mentor or a friend that helps give you a little bit of energy inspiration. Then you go up. You go up higher than you were up before. And then something happens, something stressful happens, like you get um, sick or maybe you get some big bills or maybe you get some negative feedback from somebody. And then it goes down again. But the down is still higher than it was before because now you have some experience in your belt. You could get stuck there too and take a vacation for a year before you come back to whatever this thing is. Or you can realize it or maybe talk to some people about it and they give you some inspiration again. There's some mindfulness. Maybe you're giving yourself a little self-compassion. This is supposed to be hard. I'm just in a tough moment. Everyone goes through this. And so what I really need right now is I maybe I need to take like a day or some space. Or maybe I need to talk with a friend or a mentor. And that brings you back up again a little bit higher. Now you've made progress. At some point, it's going to become easier and easier and easier. Mm. Um and but that's kind of how the process works yes yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah um and i'm thinking about things i've done in the past few years and yeah i think it's just when you hit that negative feedback for instance uh it's just really feeling like you have to reassure yourself that that's 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 fine and actually that's good you know and it's a part of learning and and i think every every failure now more than ever i see as just another step towards the achievement at the end uh -huh, right that's a good mindset right have a book you could recommend for our listeners hmm. that's a really tough question because there's so many books mm, i can see um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i mean on one hand uh if, if if it's a modern book i'm i'm i would suggest uh my friend michael mann's uh the new climate war because it's such a fantastic book in terms of 
explaining where we are in terms of this crisis that's so important mm-hmm. and what we can do, and it's hopeful. Um, but there's one book that's very special to me, uh, and it's it's like the only book I consider sacred, <laughs> and wow. and it's Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. It's, so I would be remiss if I didn't recommend that book um, because it's a book that's most important to me. Why is it so important? Oh, I, I think so many reasons. Um, I think it relates a lot to this 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 connection I have or feeling of connection I have with the notion of plurality. Um, for Whitman, this is the embrace of democracy in all of its it, democracy is really about plurality and about differences and sort of the jumbling together of everything. Um, mm. But also this sort of the relationship that each has to one another in their in their radical differences in something like song of myself um, this is a sort of a great poem of democracy that touches on connections with nature connections with others connections with epics of time and history um, it's i've always found it so comforting um, whenever there's some crisis in my life that i need to sort of settle my mind with i'll hmm. i'll pick up leaves of grass and I'll, I'll just start reading. And it's it's really like, um, it, it's it's the closest thing I could say to uh, as someone who's very secular to some sort of holy or sacred book yeah. in my personal <laughs> in my personal experience. So it's yeah, yeah. it's such a, a, a important book to me. So I have to, of course, share that. And my my final question, if I may ask you to tell me about a moment of Satori or mm. enlightenment realization. Clarity, understanding, any any of those um, which you have experienced yourself, if you, if you can. Sure. Think. I'll tell you. You know this this concept of satori or enlightenment is perhaps it's um, often described is, is something I am not sure I identify with. I, I have moments of clarity for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, but I associate it sort of with with a sense of of wisdom that I think is long-term and slow and has to happen over a lifetime. But I think the closest that I would say I've ever come or the moments that stick out to me mm-hmm. are moments um, when, when, you're, when I've traveled places and met people and shared a moment that was surprising. So <laughs> there was, you know, on a trip to, to give a talk uh, in Perth, I was taking a bus and uh, the driver of the bus asked me, um, you know, what, why he heard my accent. So asked me what I was doing in town. And I said, well, I'm here to give a philosophy talk. And he, he, he lit up and he was so happy because he really wanted to have a discussion about Arthur Schopenhauer. Okay. This, this, this kind of obscure philosopher that I happen to know a little bit about, but I was so delighted that I could talk philosophy on a bus with this driver. Yeah. Um, that sort of connection with a person that otherwise seems to be not only from a different country, but a different sort of profession altogether. And just mm. moments like that. I find are really enlightening and clarifying and heartwarming, this sort of connection, surprise connections you make with a person. Yeah. And, um, often it comes when you're traveling, but it doesn't have to. It could be any random connection you make with, with a stranger. Those are the moments I think are, uh, in some sense, moments of satori. <laughs> <laughs>